Yes. Can we bless you? You bet. Let's pray for him. Did you all pray for him? Thank you, Father, for your blessing of this man and the mighty ministry that you've called him to, and David as well, Father God. We thank you for your words and giving us ears to hear with, eyes to see with, and hearts to comprehend. We bless him, and we thank you for blessing us through him. In Christ's name, amen. 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 I'm always delighted to meet believers and even halfway believers, anybody who is willing to listen to God's word. I'm going to speak first. David is going to follow. Um, We are never abusive of your time. Be aware of that. But I wouldn't, and I never, I never receive an offering. That's just not my call. But I want to share something that I felt like the Lord gave me a year or so ago. Money is called currency. And I was wondering why. Why do we call it currency? And then I got to realizing there, like in a river, there is a current. There is a movement. And I applied that to what Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think I have an answer. I think the principle there is that when there is no current, there is no movement financially in your life. You're not receiving. You and I can cause the current to start by giving. I think that's the principle. And that where we come, and we all do at points, to those moments of stagnation where nothing beneficial is happening to us, God's saying, all right, start the current. Start it, and it'll flow. I believe that. Benefit by that. I'm, <clears throat> I read for you tonight, starting in Acts 1, we're going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. David and I both, we have both, you're going to be shocked what I think I'm, he's going to share. If it's what I have heard, it's an awesome word. In Acts 1, the former account, I made O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I want to come back briefly to that point the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's vital. Which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, They asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
wrong, wrong kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He is telling them there, and suddenly, you don't have power. You don't have it yet, but you are going to receive it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. <clears throat> in the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom, the subject of the kingdom was paramount. It shocks people to realize that in the four Gospels, Jesus spoke the word church only three times. That's in the Gospel of Matthew, 16, 18, and 17, 16. You don't find the word church in Mark, Luke, or John. It isn't there. But while Jesus spoke of the church only three times, he spoke of the kingdom more than 100 times. Now, he loved the church, gave himself for the church, and so must we. To be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ, you are going to be part of the visible church, and you're going to support it, because the mission of the church, <clears throat> the mission of the church on the earth is to reveal the kingdom and the king. The mission of the church is not to focus on itself. I want you to hear that. If I don't say another thing the whole time, I want you to hear this. The mission of the church is not to focus on itself, but to focus on the kingdom and the king. The modern church has totally reversed that order and gone belly up on it. No emphasis on the kingdom. Emphasis wholly not just on the church universally, but the focus is on the denominational fragment of the church. And not only on the denominational fragment, but on that tiny little brick-and-mortar building at Main Street and 3rd Avenue, or whatever it happens to be. God save us from that kind of thinking. Equally important to me, with the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is vital for the church, the greatest mission the church has is to reveal the kingdom and the king. Now, it's interesting that the book of Acts, the opening sentence, talks about the kingdom. The closing sentence of the book of Acts talks about the kingdom. doesn't talk about the church. Now, having said that, <clears throat> many of you know my testimony. And next, year after next, I will have been preaching, ordained 70 years and that's a long time. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not here because I volunteered. I'm glad I'm here. Thank God. 
but I'm here because I was drafted. When I was 17 years old, grew up in Miami, born 30 miles south of Miami, and my family had been in, both parents' families had been there for four generations before me. I was on my way to school, 17 years old, had great plans for my life already, well laid out, well formed, set in, in concrete. I can go back to the intersection of Northwest 54th Street, 19th Avenue, when as a 17-year-old I looked up, and about as high as that instrument there, I don't know what it is, about that high overhead, I saw a vision of myself preaching. And it was as real as looking at me now and my looking at you. And in that smashing moment, I totally knew what it was. God was calling me, assigning me to the ministry. He wasn't asking me if I would. He was telling me, this is it. I wish I could tell you that that thrilled me and made me happy all over, but it didn't. I was so devastated because somehow I knew the inescapability of it. I was so devastated. I stopped. And if a car had hit me, I don't think I would have cared. Because my own ambition in life was so important to me. And I was, all my thinking and thoughts were that it would be done. I didn't think there was any opposition in the way. <clears throat> At any rate, I don't want to get onto that too much except to tell you that I had a miraculous encounter with the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, that day, he told me my ministry was going to be in two phases. The first was going to be, a, a, I, I can only describe it as a traditional ministry, pastoral ministry. But there would come, and I knew this all along, there was going to come a radical change. And that the only thing I knew that day at 54th Street in Miami, which is Okeechobee Road, as you know, um, the only thing I knew was that the second part of my ministry was left in mystery. God had not told me what it was going to be. And then it began, as some of you already know, when a young prisoner in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary laid hands on me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was. Totally blew my life together. Blew my life together. Because at that point, I had become so fragmented. Religiously, I knew something was dead wrong with what we call church. I knew we don't have it. This isn't working. This is not what Jesus established in the earth. One group warring against another group, this group saying bad things about this group, this pastor abusing and misusing this one. This is not what it's all about. But I did not have the answer. 
I did not have the answer. And I can't repeat all of that, except that the day that young prisoner in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary laid hands on me, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was. You could pull my arms and legs off. That could never eliminate the fact that I had a God encounter through the laying on of hands that has never lifted from me and never will. And I have seen that repeat all around the world. That what I received that day was not from him. It came through him, but it was God Almighty rushing into this temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is not a body, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when a ministering temple of the Holy Spirit touches a receiving temple of the Holy Spirit, there will be a transfer of the power of the Holy Spirit, not from body to body, but from temple to temple. <clears throat> That's the flow of the miraculous energy, recreative power of God. Now don't get me off my topic. I want to read you something. I've done this every service, but it's important. This is not my speaking. This is what others have said. Now, you listen to this first testimony. If I've read it here before, listen again. <laughs> Dear Pastor Karen, your ministry has changed my husband and my life. We lost our four-year-old daughter in a boating accident. We were Christians, but knew nothing of the deeper working and the healing power of the Holy Spirit. We were both very depressed and angry at God. When you ministered to us, we were slain in the Spirit for the first time. Now, I want to stop and tell you, this was at a church in Alabama, a large church. And this couple was a Baptist couple, which was my beginning and my roots. And when I gave opportunity for ministry, they were standing in the back and they never moved. I knew nothing about them. I didn't know the crisis in their life that their four-year-old daughter, short time before, they had gone out in the boat for a Sunday afternoon family ride and got rammed by another boat, knocked that child out of the water into the propeller blade, and the father had to leap into the water to rescue her. And of course, she was dead within a minute. I knew nothing about that. The only thing I knew, that service, when I gave the opportunity for hands-on ministry, they stayed back there like sticks, absolutely frozen and unable to move. And the Holy Spirit said, go back to them. I did. I went back, called them out. They didn't want to come. They didn't, they were already hurting so badly they couldn't, couldn't move. And I said, come. At any rate, I let her tell that. When you ministered to us, we were slain in the spirit for the first time. The Holy Spirit began a healing work in us that has given us a reason to live and to worship his holy name. A hunger for more of God began in us that summer night and praise God the hunger has never been satisfied. 
Since that time, we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit operates in our lives. Thank you for giving your life to the ministry of people who are hurting. Hopefully, my husband and I have the opportunity to be to give to others as you have given of yourself. God bless you. Susan Archer, Birmingham, Alabama. What was so beautiful? I was back at that church a year later. And after their receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power, the healing power of the Holy Spirit began operating in their lives. They went to Russia and adopted several children, brought them back to America, poured all of their love into those children and were able to overcome the grief of the loss of their own daughter because of the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Now that's what it's all about. It isn't about our falling on the floor, and it's certainly not about somebody pushing somebody to the floor. I've been in meetings, and you have too, where you've seen that happen. I want to run up and kick them. (laughs) for faking and falsifying a genuine, authentic move of God. God doesn't need our help. All the Holy Spirit is after is your body to become a genuine, authentic temple of himself so that when you, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, reach out and touch another temple of the Holy Spirit or even for that man, a a would-be future temple of the Holy Spirit, that the power of Almighty God can move through you. It wasn't witty preaching that sent Christianity exploding over the Roman Empire. It wasn't pretty songs, though they had that. There was no way the gospel message could come out of Jerusalem and out of the upper room and explode across pagan Rome with its magnificent temples, with all of its idolatry and all of that kind of ritualistic worship and the simple message of a dead, crucified, but resurrected Jew, which is the way they regarded it, could convert the Roman world. But it did. What did it? Power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have television. They didn't have printing presses. They didn't have any of those things that we rely on today for the spreading of the word. All they had were portable temples of the Holy Spirit, men, women, and children who had gotten filled with God and had no choice but to go. And in the passage I read to you from Acts 1, the word of Jesus was, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What gave them that power? And they didn't all become ordained preachers. They didn't go 14 years to seminary and and listen to professors argue whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. 
They didn't go through that kind of wastefulness. These were ordinary men and women who got saved Saturday morning at 7 o'clock and at 10.30 got filled with the Holy Spirit and by noon were out preaching the word. Not just preaching the word, but the power of the Holy Spirit coming through their temple so that signs and wonders were done everywhere they went. So powerfully that when Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, got, with, got close enough that his shadow could fall on a person, they were healed. There's no healing power in a shadow. There's shadows everywhere. It simply meant that if Peter's temple of the Holy Spirit was close enough that the shadow could touch them, so could this radiance of the power of God that came out of him touch them, brought healing, brought normalcy, brought restoration. And I want to emphasize this, this one word. It's the aim of the Holy Spirit, in every case, to bring us to his standard of normalcy. To bring us to his standard of normalcy. Normalcy in health, normalcy in clarity of mind, normalcy in family life, normalcy in work, but that's his standard. Our standard is so beneath that, so low. But the Holy Spirit works, David, come up here. The Holy Spirit works individually and separately with all of us. I had my encounter. David has had his encounter. You've had your encounter. But it's all of it in the ongoing tense. God is never finished with a one-time right-now experience. If that's the way it is, then you can go ahead and check out. Because you're going to be worthless. It's the continual ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in you that is God's target for your life. Lord, God, I know what's in this man. I know what you've done in his life. I know the power of your Holy Spirit on him, through him, around him. Give him a recall, Lord, perfect memory of what your dealings have been. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I want to share about um, my baptism in the Holy Spirit and it goes much deeper than that, and I need to give a little bit of the journey before this happened. To, to, so you'll know where I came from, and I feel like it's going to encourage some of you about where you're at and where that uh, God wants you to be. So uh, as a little child, <clears throat> um, my dad, he was a successful businessman, and he had um, a business loss. He got into drinking and alcohol and became an alcoholic. <clears throat> Long story short, I went through what a lot of people go through as a little child. I... I remember hiding in neighbors' closets and waiting for my mother to come get me from the fear of what might be happening for my dad and, and all the things that uh, you know, alcohol and things like that does to a family. And it, 
It crushed my mother so that she went into a nervous breakdown, and so she shut all the blinds on the house and shut the doors. She uh, she would order groceries from outside and have them delivered because she wouldn't go outside of you know of the house. And so as a little child, I was <clears throat> that's what I consumed. When you're small, you consume the things around your parents, and so I was soaking uh, upon the things of my mother. And you know, the one thing in the middle of all that though is that <clears throat> even through all those things, she was always on her, her knees crying out to Jesus. And I remember as a little child, I was down on my face with her. I don't remember a time in my life not praying to the Lord. And it, it ingrained something in me. I remember later in life, she was you know, saying, I'm sorry for what you went through, son. And I said, Mom, it's one of the greatest lessons of my life. Because I've always known who to turn to in the messes of life. I always turn to the Lord because I saw you on your face and you taught me a lesson even though you didn't know it. And there's some of you that are going through life and, and your children are out here and there's things going on and you don't think you have an influence but they're, they're watching and it's like Eon McCormick, you know, he was a heathen and he was out uh, scuba diving over in the islands for, for lobsters and, and, and he got stung by five box jellyfish. And it's some of the most deadliest things upon the planet. And as he was dying, his mother was over praying for her son. And he had a vision of seeing her praying for him. And as he's, and as he's dying, he sees that vision. And as he, he, he winds up giving his life to the Lord in, on his deathbed. And he wound up, he had been dead for, I forget, I forget how many minutes, 30 minutes or something. He was in the morgue. They were putting a toe tag on him when he raised up from the dead. And the Lord just, he brought him out of, of hell into heaven. And he had this whole heavenly encounter because of a praying, faithful mother. I mean, you know, who would, who would think of something like that? You know, your son, you never even see him. He's out, he's out of heathen and doing all these things. The next thing you know, he gets raised from the dead. And then he, he turns the world upside down, preaching all over the world. So just be encouraged about what you're going through and just the influence of your child. You never know. Never give up. You never know what your influence may be or the impact like it had on my life. And so after that, I, here I am, I, you know, I, I, when I step out into school, you know, I'm coming out of this atmosphere with my mother and I, and I step into school and I'm, I'm terrorized when I get into public. I mean, I couldn't even, you know, Already sit in the classroom with these these children, and and I would miss all the time. And I, you know, it got to be finally my mother. She she got kind of turned around in life, and my dad had, had left by this time. And she and uh, she was she remarried to this gentleman out in the country. And I remember it was like the fourth grade, and so we moved out into the country. And this time she started driving. And it was a new school, and it was just so terrible. I was missing so much. The truant officer came to my house. And he was telling us that, uh, you know, it's a possibility that they could take me away from my mother if they couldn't get me into school. I don't know if that was a, a manipulation or if that was just, you know, what, what happened. But that's what I heard and that's what I was told. So my mother takes me to that school. I remember you could drive around to the back of the school and she drives me around to the back of the school and this truant officer is waiting and out there and he comes in and he starts, he's got me by the legs trying to pull me out of the car and she's trying to push me out of the car and you couldn't have t taken a gun and put it to my head and scared me anymore about having to go in and face these kids. <clears throat> and finally I just, you know, I, I begged with all I had I, to, to let me go and then I finally took everything within me and I walked in in school. And then through these seasons, the Lord has, has taken me back in memory lane of these things. 
And he showed me in Genesis how that, you know, God was uh, such a, a, a good provider. He made everything and then he, he takes this garden and in this garden he puts mankind after he's called everything good and very good and then he puts us in a garden. And then Satan comes along and says, well, if you do this, you know, God's not a, a good provider. If you'll do this, you'll be happier than what you already are. And for me, I couldn't even sit in a room full of people. I mean, even later on, I, I started getting better, and I got to the point of, of the 10th grade. And I remember a teacher made a joke about me uh, having to get up and go take a pass to go to the restroom. And when I went, I remember all the, it's like, it's like all those nerves and fears of all those childhood things, you know, it just settled in on me again. And when I came back to class, I sit there and I thought, and the cold chills and sweats came over my body, and I thought I was just going to, you know, wet my pants in class. And every day I would come in the same thing over and over again. And I finished out a half a school year doing, going through cold chills and sweats, just sitting in a class. And I got three older brothers and, and their college degrees and very successful. And I remember I just I walked out and I said, I'm never coming back. I couldn't even sit in a room full of people. I don't know where you're at, but you're seeing a miracle for me even getting up here because that's the opposite. So the enemy tried to shut me down where I couldn't even sit in a room full of people, but the opposite was because he wanted me up in front speaking to his people. And so you may be wondering what God wants you to do in life, so you might just need to look at where you've been shut down, where have you been beaten down and knocked down, and the enemy wants you to rise up and be who you are. There is such an anointing of Michigan it's like a fighting anointing. And it's just like this state. I just see like there's this thing. This, this, it's like a, a hovering over this state that has pulled you out of your destiny. It's like there's a fight in you. I just see that, that needs to rise up and you need to become who you are. I just, I just felt the love of God on you. I felt destiny on you. This country needs you to step into your place. You know, we're sitting on the edge of eternity. It's not time to sit back and be passive. You need to be who you are. So then Charles, he takes me under wing. And then the next thing you know, he starts sticking me in front of hundreds and, you know, sometimes thousands. I remember being in Virginia. It was uh, John and Carol Arnott. It was uh, Gordon Robertson. Uh, big conference, several thousand people there. He's a speaker. I'm just the, the little guy sitting on the front row. Charles is up there preaching and he stops and he looks over and he says David come here I walk up there and he hands me the mic he says finish it <laughs> I mean you think about this tonight I mean here's a man that's been preaching for 69 years with an amazing anointing on him and I, he sticks me up here to follow him <laughs> So, I'm, I'm, I'm in this journey, and life, it just, you know, I won't go into the whole thing, but, you know, I just, I fall on my face, 
and I, and I wind up just, you know, getting in grace. So I have, in, in the midst of this, I, you know, my life is so messed up. I've been raised in tradition and religion. I've had man tell me all about God. I was sick and tired of hearing someone tell me about God. You know, I was more afraid of Satan deceiving me than I was the Lord blessing me. And I finally said, you know, Lord, you're a better leader than he is a deceiver. You know, I trust you more. And I, so I, I just, I, there was a letting go. And when I let go, it's like amazing things started happening in my life. You know, there's at some point in your life, you've got to let go of the control of your own self. The things that started happening, I couldn't believe what God was doing. I thought He wasn't doing anything. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm with Charles and all these things are going on. And, and it's, it's, a, it's amazing. I think maybe, I don't know if you can hear me. I can just go on without it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Hello, hello. Hallelujah. <laughs> 